Welcome to the Podcast at the Hill. You are about to hear a message from Pastor Daniel Blaylock entitled, A 3G Church, from our series, You're So Basic. If you have your Bible, I'm in Acts chapter 2, beginning in verse 41. Acts chapter 2, beginning in verse 41, if you have your Bible. Amen. Acts 2, verse 41. We're continuing our series today called, You're So Basic, and we're talking about the church of the Lord Jesus. Last Sunday, we began by talking about the church and we answered the why, the what question, what is the church, amen? Maybe you were new to the church and you wonder, what is this thing called the church? Well, last Sunday, we talked about that. In the Bible, the word for church is that Greek word ekklesia and it means the called out people of God. Say called out. Those who've been called out of the world into the family of God. Those men and women who have heard the voice of Jesus calling them out of their life of sin in this world of darkness in order to leave that behind and start a fresh life among the people of God. Called out of darkness, called into the marvelous light. And we said that what it means to be in the church rather than just at church, amen, everybody can be at church, you come to the building, you're at church today, but to be in the church, to be part of the church means that you have actually heard the voice of Jesus calling you out of sin into this new life that only he can give you and provide for you. Amen. And so we talked about that. To be in the church means you've been born again, you've trusted Jesus as Lord and Savior, and you are following him as master and king. Amen. You've come to the cross. You've asked him to forgive your sin. You've invited him into your life, and his blood has made you clean. His resurrection power has given you a new resurrected heart. And that's how you enter into the kingdom of God, the family of God, become part of the church of the Lord Jesus. So I know you're at church, but I want to know, are you in the church? Amen. Are you part of the called out people of God? Have you heard the voice of Jesus calling you to salvation? And have you answered that call? Have you said, yes, Lord? And have you come to the cross? Has there been a moment in your life when he called you and you answered and you came to Jesus? And you said, yes, Lord, I surrender my life to you. If you'll forgive my past, if you will free me from the bondage of my sin, then, Lord, I will surrender the rest of my life to you to live for you and follow you. Amen. And so that is the what question. Say the what question. What is the church? It is the ecclesia, the called out people of God, called out of the dark into the light for the glory of God. Amen. Well, this morning we're going to answer the next question, which is the why question. Why does the church exist? Why do we gather together like we do here on the Lord's Day? Why do we invest so much time, energy, and money in this thing called church? It matters that we know our mission. Say our mission. Amen. Years ago, Bishop Paul Kahn was serving in Georgia as one of the overseers there in the state of Georgia. He was one of the bishops for the Church of God there. And he lived in Atlanta, and he wanted to know about the Church of God congregations in Atlanta. And so he did what back in the day would have been the normal way of figuring that out. Now today, you would have opened your phone, and you would have Googled that, and it would have told you Church of God congregations in Atlanta. It would have given you a map and a website and all that kind of stuff. But back when Brother Cotton was bishop, we had this great piece of technology that some of you younger than me don't even know about. It was this book called a phone book, and in the back there were these pages called the Yellow Pages. You guessed it because they were yellow. 
And when you looked in the yellow pages, there were categories. And you could look up church, and under church, you would have all these different kinds of churches. Adventist churches and Baptist churches and Methodist churches. And you would go by alphabetical order. Well, he flipped over until he found Church of God, because that's what he was looking for, his, his tribe. And he found the Church of God, and he saw the listings. And there were all the normal listings there of different Church of God congregations. But he looked, and he saw Mount Perrin and Mount Perrin Central, and he saw the different ones. And then he looked and he saw this interesting little listing under the church of God and it was called the Church of God Grill. Church of God Grill. And he thought, what in the world is the Church of God Grill? So he picked up the phone and he called the number and sure enough, someone answered and said, good morning, Church of God Grill. How can we help you? Can I take your order? And Bishop Kahn said, help me understand what the Church of God Grill is and how it came to be. And they said, oh, that's easy. It's a fried chicken restaurant. And he said, well, how did you get the name Church of God Grill? He said, well, a few years ago, he said, our church was really struggling to make the ends meet. So we decided to sell chicken dinners in order to pay the bills. So we began to sell chicken dinners. He said, but in order to get the chicken dinners ready for everybody on Sunday morning, we had to back our service up from 11 to 12. We had to back it up to 10 to 11. He said, and then when we did that, man, the chicken dinner business really got good because everybody would leave church and come here and eat after service. He said, eventually the chicken dinner business was doing really well and the church still wasn't doing well at all so we just closed down the church and kept the restaurant and we call it the Church of God Grill. Wow. Years ago in New York City on a vacant church building there was a sign hung by its former pastor and it had these words, gone out of business forgot what business we were in. I want to tell you like the Church of God Grill the danger for any local church is to ever forget what business we're in. Why do we exist? Why are we here? At the height of the first Gulf War, General Norman Schwarzkopf would walk into a board meeting and there would be people from many different nations gathered there making decisions about what the best way forward was going to be. Oftentimes, tempers would flare and people would get into heated arguments about what they ought to do next. In one of those meetings, Norman Schwarzkopf walked in and slammed his fist down on the board meeting table and had everyone reminded by asking the question, gentlemen, why are we here? And with one voice, everyone answered back, we're here to kick Saddam Hussein out of Kuwait. That's why we are here. He would say, well, let's remember that and let's quit fighting each other and let's fight him and get back to the business that we're here for. And everyone would rally and they would figure out a mutually agreeable solution to their problem. But I want to tell you there's a great danger in forgetting why we are here. Once in a while, someone needs to step in front of every church and congregation and say, why are we here? Why do we do this? Why do we gather like we do every Sunday in a building like this? Why are we here? In his book, Simple Church, Tom Rayner identifies the three most important qualities of a biblical church, and they are worship, community, and mission. Say that with me. Worship, community, and mission. We find them in Acts chapter 2, beginning in verse 41 through 47. We find this explanation of why we exist as a church. Hear the word of the Lord today. 
This is right after the day of Pentecost, right after the Holy Spirit's poured out, right after the church is birthed in the world. And this is what happens next. Verse 41. Then those who gladly received his word were baptized, and that day about 3,000 souls were added to them, and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, in the breaking of bread and in prayers. Then fear came upon every soul, and many signs and wonders were done through the apostles. Now all who believed were together and had all things in common and sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all as anyone had need. So continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. May God bless his word and his people said, Amen. There are three big ideas in this passage. And they're the three that I believe we mentioned a moment ago. Worship, community, and mission. Here at Forest Hill, we use three different words to summarize those three words. And you see them almost everything that we do. And we call ourselves a 3G church. Amen? So, Pastor, they have 5G now. Yeah, it'll kill you from what I hear, right? You don't want 5G. We're a 3G church, okay? 3G. Besides, three is all you can remember. Amen? Three. So we're going with three. What are they? They're on every t-shirt around here. We are people who gather and grow and go. You got it. We are a thriving community of spirit-filled Christ followers gathering in worship, growing in Christ, and going in purpose. This is it. Gathering, that's worship. Growing, that is community. And going, that is mission. That is why we're here, and that's why we come together every Lord's Day. We're here this morning to fulfill that first one, to gather in worship. That's why we're here. We gathered to lift up the name of Jesus. Verse 42 says that after this group of people were filled with the Holy Spirit and baptized into the church, verse 42 says, and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, in the breaking of bread and in prayer. Amen. What happens first of all when we come to church? Say when we come to church. When we gather in church, what is it all about? Well, the first thing that it lists here is they continued in the apostles' doctrine, the teaching of the apostles, the message of the New Testament. When most of us think about a spirit-filled church, you may think about many different things. When I think about a spirit-filled church, the first thing I often think about is a church that believes in the gifts and the power of the Holy Spirit. You may think about the music and the singing and the worship of a spirit-filled church. You may think about the passion or the energy level of a spirit-filled church. Some of you who grew up around our type of church may think about uh, the, the list of rules and regulations that were often associated with spirit-filled churches. I don't know what you may have in your mind, but can I remind you today that in the New Testament, the very first thing that marked a spirit-filled church is they were committed to the Bible. Amen. I want to be a Bible preacher. Amen. I love it. Years ago, Bishop G.E. Patterson said it like this. He said, if you're a Baptist preacher, he said, you have to sound like the Baptists. And if you're a Pentecostal preacher, you have to sound like the Pentecostals. He said, but if you're a Christian preacher, you just sound like the Bible. <laughs> 
Amen. I want to just sound like the Bible. I want to just preach what God says. Amen. The church of God's first principle is we're committed to the whole Bible rightly divided and the New Testament is the only rule of faith and practice. In other words, if you ask us, what do you believe? In short, we believe the Bible. We believe the whole thing from Genesis to Revelation. Pastor, do you believe the Bible is the word of God? I believe it from genuine leather on the front to the map in the back. I believe this book is the word of God. Amen. I believe the Bible. Amen. As the hymn writer said, I know the Bible is right and somebody's wrong. Amen. I trust the word of God. A spirit-filled church is centered around the teaching of the apostles, the New Testament. This is the first thing that ought to mark us. Jesus said when we worship, we don't just worship in spirit. That's what marks us often. But we worship in spirit and in truth. Amen. You'll know the truth and the truth will make you free. And if you get free, you will worship. Amen. The Bible said, Paul told Timothy, take heed to yourself and to the doctrine. That means the teaching, what you believe. Continue in them for in doing so, you will save both yourself and those who hear you. Amen. It matters what preachers preach. It matters what a church teaches and believes. It must line up with the book. Amen. It matters because if you don't believe what the Bible says, you can end up losing out. You can end up not being saved if you don't get your life and your doctrine right. You have to believe the truth and then you have to live the truth. Amen. Your life and your teaching, they both need to be right. Amen. The preaching and teaching of our church is Christ-centered. We believe that Jesus is the primary message of the church. The church preaches Jesus. The church gathers to worship Jesus. The church goes out to tell other people about Jesus. But we're all about the Lord Jesus. Everything centers around the person and the work of Christ, who Jesus was and what he came to do. Who was he? He was the sinless son of God who lived from all eternity with his father in heaven and he became man in the womb of a virgin girl named Mary and he was born a human, fully God and fully man and lived a sinless life and died for sinners on a cross and they laid him in a tomb and he got up on the third day and broke the power of sin and hell and death and the grave and anybody who'll trust in him anybody who'll repent of their sin and claim his blood anybody who'll fall down in front of his cross and say Lord have mercy on me a sinner he will save them from the guttermost to the uttermost he'll rescue them from sin he'll forgive their past he'll break their bondage in the present he'll keep them through the future and he'll bring them to stand before God on the last day saved and kept saved all the way to the end Amen. Glory, give God a hand of praise today. Our message centers on Jesus. Jesus is our Savior. Jesus is our sanctifier. Jesus is our Holy Ghost baptizer. Jesus is our divine healer. Jesus is our soon coming and ever reigning king. Jesus is our message today. It's a Christ-centered church because Jesus is the center of the Bible. Amen. We talked about that Wednesday night. Jesus is the center of this whole book. We're devoted to the apostles' doctrine and we're devoted to prayer. Say to prayer. Whenever we gather together on Sunday morning, it isn't just about what happens this way. It's also about what happens this way. 
Amen. Church isn't church if it's only horizontal. It's not church until it gets vertical. Amen. Until God comes down and until we talk to him and he talks to us. Until we reach up and he reaches down. It doesn't matter what you and I do for one another. That's not church. Church becomes church when Jesus shows up. Church becomes church when the spirit of God moves and gets involved. This isn't a human thing. It's a divine institution. And we pray because we believe God hears us and we believe God answers us when we pray. And God's house is a house of prayer for all the nations. It's not primarily a place to meet with each other. It's a place for all of us to meet with him. That's what he promised. And when two or three are gathered together in my name, there I will be in the midst of them. Amen. Glory to God. I love you and I came to be with you but I didn't come for you today. I came to be with Jesus and to be in the presence of Jesus and to have an encounter with Jesus today. And that happens not when we talk to each other but when we talk to him to pray, to worship, to seek the face of God. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to prayer. And number three, they devoted themselves to the sacraments of the church. Sacrament is a big word. It's a big word, but it has a real easy meaning. Let me explain what a sacrament is. It's just a place where God meets us with his power. It's a physical place where God meets us with his power. A sacrament is a way of making the invisible visible. A sacrament is a place where God makes what you can't see. He he uses something you can see to help you get your mind and your heart around it. Amen. That's what a sacrament is. It's a sign. It helps get you to the right place. Amen. I love it. A spirit-filled church is a sacramental church. Now, when I grew up, sacramental churches were like the Catholics and the Episcopalians and some of those. And that's a sacramental church. And then over here on the other side, we're Pentecostals and Charismatics and, and, and full gospel people. We were a spirit-filled church and we were not a sacramental church. I want to tell you the early church was both. It was sacramental and it was spirit-filled. And a Bible church is both at the same time. What do you mean? Notice what it says here. Verse 41 says that those who believed were baptized. Say baptized. Baptism is a sacrament. It's a place where God meets us with his power and his grace. Baptism is not the thing that makes you a Christian, but baptism is the wedding ring on the Christian finger, amen? Me and Shay were married the moment the preacher pronounced us man and wife, but that ring on her finger is a visible sign of our invisible commitment, amen? She's got a gold ring on her finger to remind her and me and all these other jokers walking around Mobile that she is taken, amen? She's called for. She's in a covenant with somebody and that's there to remind them. I had a Church of God preacher one time say, I can give you 40 biblical reasons why you shouldn't wear a wedding band. I said, I can introduce you to 40 unbiblical reasons why you ought to. Glory to God. You need to announce it, amen? Let somebody know. Now, I don't care if you wear a wedding ring or not. I'm just saying, what is it? It's a visible sign of an invisible commitment. Baptism is the wedding ring on the Christian finger. (laughs) Amen. You got saved when you fell on an altar and trusted Christ and the blood washed you clean. But how does everybody else know that? Because you went under the water and you buried your sins in a watery grave and you publicly announced and declared as your first act of obedience, I belong to Jesus. I have cast my lot with Christ and I am his. Baptism is a sacrament. Say a sacrament. 
Amen. That's how, how did we get in? I was washed clean by the grace of God and baptism is a sign of that reality. Well, how, what sustains me on the journey? How do I keep going on the journey? Well, the way I keep going on the journey is by the grace of God. God gives his grace to me. He daily strengthens me. He daily upholds me. He feeds me with bread from heaven. Well, is there a sacrament for that too? Yes. Your journey started with the sacrament of baptism and your journey continues with the sacrament of Holy Communion. Amen? We gather around the Lord's table and we take the bread and we take the cup and we remind ourselves that not only are we saved by grace, we are sustained by grace and the life of Jesus comes into my life and every day whatever I need is on the table. Amen? And so whatever I need for the journey, Jesus has got it on the table. When I go home, my mama always has my favorites on the table, amen? Whatever I want, whatever I need, there's a helping of it on the table. Jesus has a table spread where the saints of God are fed and he invites his chosen people, come and dine. With his manna he doth feed and supply our every need. Tis so sweet to sup with Jesus all the time, the hymn writer said. Whatever you need today, there's a helping of it on the table, amen? Do you need salvation? It's on the table? Do you need divine healing? He was wounded for your transgressions and bruised for your iniquities and the chastisement of his peace was on you, on him and by his stripes you were healed. There's divine healing on the table today. Do you need deliverance? It's on the table. Whatever you need, the grace of God to provide is provided by the broken body and the shed blood of the Son of God. He can provide you what you need by grace and communion is a reminder that whatever I need will always be on the table waiting for me when I I come into his presence. Glory to God. Sacramental church. Spirit-filled church. Some people think that they don't go together, but they do. Well, that's what happens when we come. We celebrate the sacraments. We pray and worship, and we hear God's word preached. Well, what about the other side of the equation? What happens when he shows up at church? What happens when God comes down and meets with us? What happens when he gets in the arrangement? Well, we do three things. Well, guess what? He brings three things as well. Number one, he brings his presence. Say his presence. In the Bible, when you read through the book of Acts, there's this word that shows up over and over again in the book of Acts. And that word is the word suddenly. Say suddenly. When you read the New Testament, Acts 2, the Bible says they were gathered together and suddenly there was a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind. The Bible says in Acts chapter 4, whenever they gathered together to pray in the face of persecution, suddenly the house where they were gathered together was shaken the Bible says in Acts 10, while Peter was preaching to Cornelius and his family, suddenly the Holy Ghost fell on them while he preached the word. Somebody say suddenly. I want to tell you, you know you're in a spirit-filled church when suddenlies happen. <laughs> Amen. Do we make room for teaching and preaching? Yes, we do. Do we make room for, uh, for worship and singing and giving and all those things? Yes, we do. Our worship includes that. We include time to preach and teach God's word. We include time to celebrate the sacraments of communion and baptism. We anoint the sick with oil. We, our worship is well planned and orderly, but it is also open to divine interruption as the spirit of God sovereignly decides to move among us. How do you know you're in a spirit-filled church? Because the spirit leads. And the spirit has liberty to lead and to take us where he wants to take us. A spirit-filled church is a spirit-led church. Amen. So when he comes, he brings his presence. Say his presence. Number two, he brings his purity. Say purity. 
Whenever we gather together in worship, there is a fear or a reverence of God that moves among us. You can tell the moment the atmosphere changes, can't you? You can tell the moment that it moves from just being a group of people gathered in a room to holy ground. Can't you feel it? I can. You can tell the moment that it shifts in the room and all of a sudden you realize this is not just a group of people singing about Jesus, but he has showed up in the room and now it's a group of people singing to Jesus, with Jesus. Amen? His presence begins to move among us. And when that happens, there is a reverence, a holiness, a fear, the Bible says, that comes among us. The Bible says in Acts chapter 2, verse 43, and many wonders and signs were done. He says, but then he says, and fear came upon every soul. Say fear. Acts 9, 31 says the churches in Judea and Galilee and Samaria were at peace and were edified, walking in the fear of the Lord and the comfort of the Holy Spirit, they were multiplied. They walked in the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord is not a terror that makes you want to back away from God and have nothing to do with him. The fear of the Lord is a holy reverence that makes you respect him and yet makes you want to get closer. You ever been around fire? <laughs> you can't keep your eyes off of it, can you? It just draws you to it. You just, you just want to get closer to fire. And yet you know that if you mistreat it or disrespect it, it'll bite you, right? <laughs> And yet, something about it attracts us and we can't stay away. Our God is a consuming fire. He draws us in. He pulls us close. We want to be near unto Him. And yet, we need to understand that there is a healthy fear of the Lord that must accompany our worship. We're in the presence of the Holy One. He doesn't take sin lightly. He will not look upon our disobedience with disregard. And we must repent of our sin and come through the blood of Jesus in order to get close to Him. The fear of the Lord is a way of behaving. The fear of the Lord is a way of acting. How many of you feared your father when you were growing up? Amen. I don't mean a terror that made you back away, but I mean a healthy respect where you understood where the boundary lines were and you knew that he loved you, but you also understood that there were expectations of respect and reverence around that relationship, a healthy reverence and a fear of the Lord. That's what has to happen when we worship. So we have the presence of God, but we have this purity that comes, people who live right and walk in holiness because they fear the Lord. I want to tell you that happens whenever we draw close to God and we get in his presence because when you get close to him, you don't want to do anything to offend him. You don't want to lose the sweetness of his presence. You don't want to lose the closeness or the intimacy in your relationship with him. The Bible says in Psalm 26, 3, the friendship of the Lord is for those who fear him. If you want the friendship of God, then fear God. If you want to be close to God, then you've got to walk in such a way that shows you honor and respect Him. And if so, you'll have His, his friendship. You'll have His ear. God brings His presence, His purity, and thirdly, His power. The Bible says, And many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Acts 4, they prayed, Lord, stretch out your hand to heal and let many miracles and mighty works be done through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And the Bible says, and with great power, the apostles gave witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus and great grace was upon them all. Whenever God shows up in worship, then there are supernatural things that happen among us. Signs, wonders, miracles, healing, deliverance. 
We can't command them or decide when those things happen, but they do happen. Acts 5.12, and through the hands of the apostles, many signs and wonders were done among the people. Whenever you're in a spirit-filled church, you ought to expect from time to time that something not on the radar is going to happen. We ought to expect that God's going to move and confirm his word, that we're going to see divine things happen among us. Signs and wonders are not a foolproof test of God's approval or his presence, but we ought to expect unusual things to happen among us if God is in the room on a regular basis. Amen? Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He still saves and delivers and heals and sets captives free. He still performs miracles. Amen? And that happens when we gather in worship. Say gather. And number two, we grow in community. We grow in community. We're called not only to gather in large groups like this and worship, but we're called to grow together in small groups where we meet in, uh, with our family and our, our team of people, and they help us grow up in the things of God. Hear me today. We grow together in community. That's also found in this passage. Verse 42 says, Not only did they commit themselves to the apostles' teaching and to prayer, but it says, And they continued steadfastly in the fellowship. Say fellowship. And then he says this, Now those who were together, who believed were together and had all things in common and sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all as anyone had need and so continuing daily with one accord at the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. They gathered publicly in a large group like this, but they also gathered privately in homes all across the Jerusalem area. Well, that sounds a lot like us today, isn't it? We gather publicly like this in this room on Sunday mornings for worship. We gather in a large group setting. But listen, on a, on a good season when things are going well and we're not fighting a pandemic and Marco and Polo dancing in the Gulf out there, <laughs> our church averages around 400 more, 400, 430, somewhere in that range of people who attend here on a regular basis on any given Sunday. How many of you know you're not going to get to know 400 people intimately in a room like this? That's not going to happen. That just can't happen in a space like this. It's not set up for that. So Rick Warren said, we worship in rows, but we grow in circles. There has to be a place where we break this group down into smaller groups and we get together in little pockets of believers and we spend time with one another. That has to happen if we're going to grow. We have to fellowship together. Now, in the church of God, most of us are like the church of God grill that I mentioned a minute ago. We think fellowship means food, don't we? Fellowship is church of God for chicken. And we think that. We just believe that. Amen. It means we're going to eat. If somebody says fellowship, there's a casserole dish in the room. Amen? Yes. But in the Bible, fellowship is deeper than that. It's more than sharing food. It's sharing life together. It's doing life as a community. It is finding a group of people that become your tribe, your family in the house of God. John Wesley said, no man can be a Christian alone. It's hard. We need one another. So we stop looking for the perfect church. We stop church shopping and hopping and we commit ourselves to a local church because we understand we have to, we have to be devoted to the fellowship somewhere. Verse 46 says they met together outside of the worship times and they met in each other's homes. Verse 46, breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with simplicity and gladness of heart. One of the things that we do here is we meet in groups. 
we have on-campus groups that meet on Sunday morning during the Sunday school hour, and we have some others that meet on Wednesday night uh, during that Bible study hour as well when things are normal here. And we call them life groups. Amen. They're more than Sunday school classes. They're groups of people who do life together. And then we also have groups that meet off campus and we call them growth groups where we grow in our knowledge of God's word together. And they meet in living rooms all over Mobile County. Now listen, we're getting ready to relaunch our growth groups next Sunday night. And what we need from you is we need your help on figuring out which kind of group you're willing to be part of. Some of you are very cautious right now and you may have very good reason to be because of your family situation or, or, or your job or something like that causes you to be very anxious about gathering together with a group in person. Well, we're going to do some groups that meet online. And so if you're interested in an online only group, you can sign up for that on, through the church app or through our website. However, if you are willing to be part of a group that meets in person with some safety protocols like distancing in place, we're also going to try to do some in-person groups that we'll start launching next Sunday night and meet in that way. We'll try to get them in larger venues than living rooms so that we can spread out. Some of them will meet outside on a deck or a front porch or some area like that. One or two may meet up here on this campus even in a larger area where we can space and spread out. But we need you to sign up and just say, I'm willing to be part of a virtual group online or I want to be part of an in-person group that meets somewhere in our community. And you can go on our website, forcetillcog.org, or you can log on to the app, or if none of those things work for you, call the office next week and let us know which kind of group you would like to be part of. Leave us a message there and we'll get you in the right slot. Amen? But we believe that we grow in groups. Say that with me. We grow in groups. And finally, number three, we go in mission. Say that. We go in mission. We have another group of groups here, and they're called teams. Groups are where we meet for devotion and discipleship and study God's Word together. But teams are where we gather together in order to serve in some capacity in the life of our church. And we call them go teams. Some of you have seen our go shirts, our big green shirts with the word go on it in the forest hill tree. We're all about going in community. Verse 47 of our text says, And the Lord added daily to the church those who were being saved. And so we believe that it is God's will for us to go in mission and for God to add to our church and for men and women who don't currently know Christ to meet him and be folded into his family. When Jesus promised us the Holy Spirit, he said that he would empower us to be witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and the ends of the earth. To be a 3G church means we do more than gather and worship on Sunday morning. If you only come on Sunday morning, you're not a 3G Christian. You're a 1G Christian. <laughs> 1G won't get you very far, amen? Not a lot of signal strength there, amen? Some Christians are a 1G Christian. God wants you to be a 3G Christian. All in, fully committed. What does that mean? I gather in worship and then I grow together with a group of disciples who are helping me grow up in my faith in Christ. And then I join a team that serves in some capacity in the church and in the community around us. We have go teams. We have ministry teams and we have mission teams. Many Christians don't understand that serving in ministry is a key part to your growing in the faith. I want to say this before we close today. Listen to me. You will never grow in your faith in certain areas until you start serving in the life of the church. There are things that don't develop in you until you start serving. How many of you still remember your first job where you made your first pocket money? You remember that? Remember your first job? 
You thought you understand what it meant to hold a job, didn't you? You watched your mom and dad do it and you watched them go every day and you had your head around it. You just thought you had that thing figured out. But all of a sudden, when you got your first job, and you had to clock in and work and you had to do what someone told you to do and you had to show up and all, all of a sudden it was, it was a little bit different, wasn't it? It wasn't quite what you thought it was going to be. There was a, a big learning curve in that first job, wasn't there? Nothing grows you up like having to go to work in that first job. Amen. There are things that will ne never develop in our children until we put them to work. Amen. Some of our houses, the reason our kids are the way they are is because they have lots of rights and privileges, but very few responsibilities. And it shows up, amen? Mm, it's getting quiet in the hole in this church. I can tell if you make your kid do anything at your house when he comes to my house. <laughs> uh. I can tell you what your house looks like when I watch your kids in youth group and kids church up here. Because if they'll drop it and walk off and leave it, they learned that at your house. <laughs> yeah. There are some things that don't ever develop or grow up in us until we start serving. And we, don't just, we aren't just consumers, but we are contributors. You see, the church is not a restaurant where we come to enjoy a meal that someone else provides for us. And then we tip in the offering and get up and leave. No, no, no. The church is a family. And the reason we have a meal together is because you cook it and you bring it. And then at the end of that meal, guess what? We all clean up together. And we all do the dishes together. And we all take out the trash together. And then we sweep up the plate. Do you hear me? <laughs> the church is not a cruise ship. It's a battleship. We have a mission to accomplish. We've got a goal that we're about. There are things that will never develop in you spiritually until you stop consuming and you start serving. Until you stop being all take and there has to be some give in there somewhere. You don't just receive, but you serve back. Many Christians don't ever grow because they're like the Dead Sea. They have an inlet, but they don't have an outlet. It takes in, but it doesn't ever let out. That's why it's dead. Some of y'all are resisting what I'm saying to you today. I can feel it. Feel it through that mask coming up against me. You're sticking your tongue out behind that mask is what you're doing. I can, I can feel it. Yeah. I'm telling the truth. Many of us, listen to me, I'm being, I'm being in all seriousness, listen to me. I have watched this happen in Christians. People get saved. They get filled with the Holy Spirit. They get in a Bible study, they begin to grow, and they do well for a few years, and then they cap, and they stop growing, and they wonder why they aren't growing anymore, and they aren't going deeper in God, and they aren't having any more joy, and they aren't feeling the presence of God, they aren't sensing that God's doing anything in their life anymore, and the reason is they don't understand that they will never take the next step in their spiritual development until they start serving. Lord, help us. Are you a 3G Christian? Are you just taking in or do you give out? Are you part of a team? 
You have to pour out, not just receive. You have to be part of a ministry team inside the church. We have mission teams outside the church that do great ministry. We need to be on a team that serves. If you're a volunteer who serves in any department in our church ministry, then we want to invite you uh, in just a couple weeks on a Tuesday night, September the 1st at 6.30 p.m., we're going to have a dream team rally. It's going to start right here in the sanctuary, and then we will scatter to some different places on campus that night, and we will talk about our different ministry departments. We are in a season right now where we're often being told what we cannot do. We're, we're done with worrying about what we cannot do. We're going to talk about what we can do as a church because the mission of Jesus is that we gather in worship and that we grow as his disciples and that we go and do acts of service around our community and our world that give witness to Christ. And we're going to find creative ways to do that even in the middle of things being the way they are right now. And that's what that Dream Team Rally is going to be about. We're going to make sure that we're figuring out ways to do good ministry in our local church. It'll be short and it'll be safe. We'll be distanced and we'll only be on campus about an hour, an hour and 15 minutes. And we will get you in and get you out. But if you serve in any area, we want you to mark your calendar for that night, September the 1st. We want you to be with us on that Tuesday night. If you don't serve anywhere in the church, we want you to be with us also. Because we want to plug you in somewhere. We want to fold you into a ministry team where you can begin to serve. This week, we'll have it up on our website where you can go in and select where you would love to volunteer, what department, what area of the life of the church would you like to serve in. And some ministry leader will get back in touch with you. But instead of focusing on what we cannot do, we're going to retool and figure out what we can do to gather and grow and go. If you're not serving on a go team, but you're interested, I want you to sign up this week. Call us. Send a smoke signal, do something, let us know. We want you involved. Why? Because we need you, but also because you will never grow if you don't serve. Amen. There's something about taking responsibility that makes you go deeper yourself. I was sharing with one of our growth group leaders this week, and we were talking, and she said, she said, Pastor, if you want to really grow and study the Bible, volunteer to teach a class. There's so much truth in that. When I was 14 years old, on Wednesday nights, my home church Bible study would put me up in front of them and I would teach God's Word. They would assign different topics and I would get up and teach God's Word. Randy, I'd get up and teach in front of a room of people that were twice and three times my age who'd walked with Jesus longer than I'd been alive. And I'd stand up in front of them and I would preach and teach God's Word and they would make comment about it. For about two years, I thought that I was the teacher in that class. And finally, one day, I woke up and realized that what they were doing is they were all discipling me and just letting me stand at the front of the room. <laughs> but I grew because I would never have studied that much if they just told me to study. But when I had to step up and present, I had to be ready. So I read and I dug and I studied. There's something about being responsible that makes you grow. Remember when you brought that baby home for the first time? Remember when you drove out of the hospital parking lot and you thought if they knew me and how little I knew, they would never let me drive off with this other human being in my car? Do you remember that? I, I remember that. Shane, we remember how that felt. I remember driving off looking in the rearview mirror going, they're really going to let us do this. Like, they're not going to pull us over on the way home and take him. Amazingly, he survived. He's here today. Amen. But there's something about serving that makes you grow. Do you hear me? 
So if you have hit a glass ceiling in your walk with God, let me tell you how to break it. Go to work in the house of God. Find you a place to serve, and it will break you out of that. It'll break you out of that. Stand with me this morning, will you, all over God's house? I don't want to keep you too late. I want to be honoring of our time together. Pastor Chad, come help me. A New Testament church is committed to gathering in worship, word and sacrament. Is Sunday morning a priority to you? Do you know what you believe and why? Do you celebrate baptism, the Lord's table, anointing the sick with oil? Are you growing in a group where you find fellowship and discipleship? Or are you just a 1G Christian that only meets on Sunday morning? Are you loosely connected to the church? You're liable to fall through the cracks if you are. But the way you find people who will love and care for you and where you will build relationships that you can do life with is in a group. Are you going in teams to do ministry and growing by that? Are you using your gifts and abilities in the life of the church? Are you serving Christ by serving others? Are you part of a ministry team in the church and a mission team outside the church that does work for the glory of God? You can be. You can be. Maybe you're here this morning and for you the question is even more basic. It's back to the question that I preached last week. Maybe you're at church but you're not in the church yet. Can I talk to you for a minute? If you came in today and you wondered what this whole thing of church was about, I've talked to you about what we do. But at the beginning, I reminded you of who we are. And listen, coming to church doesn't make you a Christian any more than going to McDonald's makes you a hamburger. Just because you're in the building doesn't mean you're a Christian. My question is, for those who are at church, are you in church? Are you part of the family of God? Pastor, how does that happen? It happens when one Sunday you walk in and instead of just hearing the preacher talk to you, you feel this hand in your heart. You sense the Holy Spirit of God dealing with you. You feel the weight and the guilt of your sin on your shoulders and you know that something's not right between you and God and yet you feel this burning desire for a relationship with Him. And you hear just enough to understand that your sin and your disobedience to God's commandments have separated you from Him. But that He sent His Son to die on an old cross and that His blood paid the price for your sins. And that if you will repent and ask God to forgive you, and you'll surrender your life to Jesus and allow Him to give you a new life and His Spirit to teach you how to live a different way, that you'll follow and serve Him for the rest of your life. And so you come and ask Christ to be your Savior. You come and ask Him to forgive your sins and to take His blood from the cross and to wash your heart clean. And you come and you surrender your life and say, Lord, if you will set me free from sin, if you will break the back of bondage in my life, then, Lord, I will serve you. Lord, I will serve you. And you begin to follow Jesus. When you trust Christ and he saves you and his spirit comes into your heart and life, then you're a Christian. But not before. You're just at church, but you're not in the church. I want to ask you today, are you in the church? And if not, do you want to be? He's here, and he'll receive you. I can call you and invite you, but only Jesus can make you part of his church. You have to trust him.
You have to invite Him to be your Lord and Savior. You have to surrender your heart to Him. He's the only one that can get you in. I'm not the door. Jesus is the door into the kingdom of God. You've got to come through Jesus. You've got to come through Jesus. Every head bowed for a moment. If you're here in this place and you'd say, Pastor, I'm at church, but I'm not in it. I've never come through Jesus. I've never trusted Christ as my Savior, but I would like to. I need to come and pray to receive Him this morning. Would you just slip up your hand and say, that's me. Just being honest. I'm here and I want to trust Christ. Anybody? Thank you. Any others? Just being honest. Yeah. If you're here today and you lifted your hand, I want to challenge you. I want to, I want to ask you to do something that may seem very scary for you. I want to invite you to step out of the aisle where you are. Just bump the person next to you. They'll let you out. And I want you to come, and I want you to find a place to kneel down at the steps here at the front. And me and Randy and Tristan and some of our friends here, we would love to gather and meet with you and pray with you and lead you in prayer to invite Christ to be your personal Savior. You've been at church long enough. It's time to get in the church to trust Christ. Father, in Jesus' name, as we open this altar this morning, I pray that you, Lord Jesus, would speak to the heart of someone who's at church but not in it. And today would be the day when they come and kneel and say, Lord Jesus, I admit that I am a sinner, but I believe you died and rose for me, and I'm asking you to forgive me and give me a new heart, bring me into your family. Lord, I commit my life to you and if you'll give me the grace and the strength and the help of your spirit, I will follow you for the rest of my life. And call on Jesus until he meets you here and saves you by his grace. You come this morning. You come this morning. Father, draw them. Draw them by your spirit. Do what we can't do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. Pastor Chad's going to lead us in song. If you need to come pray right now, the altar's open. Don't tarry. Don't overthink it. Just come. Just come, let's pray together. Come into the kingdom of God. Come into the church. Come believe on Christ today. Come and take Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior this morning. Thank you for listening to our podcast at The Hill. We pray that you are blessed by this message. For more information on what's happening at The Hill and to stay connected, visit our website at foresthillcog.org. Join our Facebook page, facebook.com slash foresthillcog or download our app from the iTunes or Google Play Store.